0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, friends. How's everybody doing? Second hours usually a little more lively. You guys are you're bringing your A game. I love it. Uh, my name is Micah, if we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken, glad that you're here. I usually, um, more often than not, end up preaching and teaching. Uh, this last week, I'm fresh out of the boundary waters, so I was paddling for four days and decided to not prep a sermon while I was up there. Instead, I caught some brook trout and smallmouth basses and got eaten alive by black flies, so that was a lot of fun. Um, we are in a series called Lost in Translation, if you're new to Awaken, and i uh, we try to find the most difficult passages in the Bible that, that, that we can find, and then we just take a crack at them and see if we can't uh, make some sense of them. And so this summer, we're sort of sticking with the words of Jesus and some of the cryptic and um, sometimes often misinterpreted or hard to understand things he said. And so my friend Matt Moberg is going to be with us this morning. Matt is one of the pastors at a place called The Table in Minneapolis. So if you, please, uh, if you would, please give a warm welcome to my friend Matt.
1: Thank you. Hey, good afternoon, Awaken. You guys, this is, the first, this is the same thing that happened in the first service. I said good morning and just got dead faces looking back at me. Good afternoon, Awaken. Oh, it's so good to see you guys and be with you. As Micah said, my name is Matt Moberg. Um, I am a co-pastor of a church called The Table. We meet in Minneapolis, which is a suburb of St. Paul out west. Um, <laughs> I lead with, yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome for that. Hey, listen, I said this in the first service. I want to say it again because I feel like I should. Um, I want you to know that the table, you might not know who we are, uh, but we are so excited for your community. We are in your corner. We are cheering you on as you continue to pursue what communal love looks like, what it looks like to create a wider and warmer space where all people can find the love of God. Just know that we are grateful for spaces like this shooting up in St. Paul, the mighty St. Paul and all that you've got going on here. But that's enough about you. Let's talk about me. This is my family right here. Like to introduce them to you really quick. To my right on there, our left out here is our eldest child. His name is Wyatt. Um, He's got a lot of energy, that one. He, he says that he loves Jesus, but we have yet to see the fruits of that love, so we're, we're not giving up on him quite yet, but pray for us. The second child, to his right, is our second eldest. His name is Sawyer. His Christian name is Hot Sauce, which inevitably is going to lead to some high therapy bills in the future, but he is a Christian, so he'll have to forgive us. Our third child is our newest child, six-month-old Graham. Graham, you want to like stand up and say anything? You want to say anything? You good? I don't know much about him yet. You know, like, I mean, it's hard to gauge really In six months, he seems kind, but <laughs> so did the others at first, so. Last but not least is uh, my incredible wife, Lauren. Lauren is my rock, my steady hand. She is my piece, and I, I love her. I love her a whole lot, which might be a problem with Jesus according to our text today. I'll show you what I mean. Luke 14 is where we're going to go. And Jesus in this moment has these words. There were large crowds who were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anybody comes to me and does not hate dad and mom, wife and kids, your brothers and sisters, actually even your own life, then stop walking. Such a person cannot be my disciple. The word of the Lord, huh? Right? Anybody in the market for a life verse this morning? Because there's some options here on the table for you, should you be looking for it. It's a strange moment that Luke's kind of pitching here. Because picture it in your mind, right? Right? I mean, try to go into the text and, and picture who's walking with Jesus and what that would have been like. You have a large crowd of people. Is this a problem? By the, am I invading anybody's personal space? The ADD will not let me stand still. So let me know, Micah, if you want me to stop. Cut my mic. Large crowds are traveling with Jesus. They are juiced about what they are seeing. They are stalking his every step. They want in on the movement. All Jesus has to do is turn around and sign them up. But, uh. See, I mean, say what you want about evangelicals, but that is a tribe that would understand that at this point in the movement, when the bait has been bit, all you have to do is turn around and set the line. Jesus, tell them about joy. Tell them about Tim Tebow. Tell them about the rush that those left-behind books are. Tell them about Creed, Chance the Rapper, Mumford. Tell them about, get them in. They are on the cusp. All you need to do is lock it in. But instead, Jesus turns around and he says, You guys, gonna me a long walk. While we have a moment, let me ask you a question. Do you love your parents? Hands go up. Yeah, I do. We're going to need you to stop that immediately. Sir, you in the back, I see that you're with your wife. You love her? Knock it off. Stop it. Your kids? Do you love them? Brothers, sisters? You had a crowd filled with Dr. Phils at this point right here. It is this baffling and bizarre moment because they didn't know and we didn't know that a prerequisite for Jesus coming into our hearts was that other people had to leave first. We had no idea that that was a part of it, and yet on this text alone, it sounds as if Jesus is saying, if you're coming after me and you don't first hate your people, don't bother coming. That's all I got for you guys. Thanks for having me, thanks for being with me today. Really appreciate this space. What do we do with Jesus here? And maybe even the better question is, what do we do with our our people here in light of what Jesus is saying here? It's a hard and challenging text. And not um, not because we're above hating people, right? I mean, if anything has been revealed in the past couple of years in this country, there is something deeply rooted within us that we need to have a them. There is the us versus them tribalistic mentality paradigm through which we see the life that we have been incapable thus far of shedding. We're not above hating people. We're not above having a them. But these folk right here, they typically are not they. I mean, yes, family can bother us, right? Like family can be... Annoying, they can get on our nerves. My brother literally last night pinched my side and asked me about my ice cream habits as of late. I wasn't psyched about that. <laughs> family can bother you. But by and large, family are those people that we can't live with and we can't live without, and our can't live without tends to outweigh our can't live with. They are our people. And there's actually logic and reason behind this. In 1981, the ethicist Peter Singer, this bundle of joy, Right here. He introduced to the world a revolutionary idea that sought to explain how our morality gets made. What Singer said is that the human moral faculty is, while it would seem very complex, it actually is pretty simple. It's a one two step. The first step that he talks about is the process of classification that happens when we are young, we are able to name um, who is our kin and, and who are the creeps, who are our siblings and who are the strangers, who are our friends, and who is from Iowa. It's that process right there of identifying who are we safe with and who do we need to run very fast away from. That's the first step right there. And you see this, you know, this is a natural psychological development and we see this instinct emerge with the onset of stranger anxiety in our babies. So for example, I won't do it right now, Graham, but if I were to take Graham away from my wife's precious hands, and proceed to pass him around to you guys, he wouldn't have much beef with it. Like, he just, he'd be okay with it. He's used to having strangers' hands on him. But if my three-year-old Sawyer, if I were to go pick him up and pass him around to you guys, his hands would be all over you really quick. He would have a problem with that. He wouldn't be psyched about that at all. Why? Sawyer is past that point right now where he's been able to identify who his family is and who his family is not, who his people are and who his people... Are not, and he wants to be with his people. And before you judge my three year old son, might I suggest that you do too? Would you do me a favor and take out your phone if you have it? If you have your phone, Micah will not be mad right now. Take out your phone and look over your past 10 calls that you've made. You know, you think about it in a country as diverse as ours is with different ethnicities, classes, sexual orientations, gender identities, political inclinations, in a country as diverse as ours is, and with our connectivity and accessibility at an all-time high. When you look over your past 10 calls, does your call history reflect the diversity of our country or the insularity of your kin? When you look over the past 10 calls, Are there people in there that voted differently than you did? Are there people in there who have different skin color than you have? Are there people in there who practice a different religion than you practice? Is there diversity in your call history? Or was Aristotle right when he said that we are attracted only to the similar and the familiar? That like really just likes. Like, I had this moment a couple weeks ago. I was dropping Sawyer off at school, and he was happy that day. He was in good spirits. There were bluebirds on his shoulders. Until we got to the classroom. We got to the classroom and we stood in the doorway, and upon like entering that sphere in that space, my son spins around, grabs onto me, and starts weeping as he's holding me tighter and tighter. Now, on one level, this is great for the self-esteem, especially when there's other kids who are like, so like, whatever, dad, leave me alone. I'm like, I don't know, maybe I'm born with it. It's hard to explain why certain parents are the way they are. (laughs) But Sawyer will not let go. He's gripping tighter and tighter and he's crying. And then it gets to that point where it's like, what is wrong with my child? Finally, after I peel him away and I get some space from him, I'm thinking about a little bit like, "What, what is, that was weird. Like, what, what did happen? What is wrong with my three-year-old son? Why did he have to grab me? Why did he do that? And Then I had the thought come across my mind, well, why do I do that still? I mean, I might not be spinning around and looking for my dad's thighs to grab onto anymore, but I am looking for an echo chamber through which I can find space to belong. I am looking for people who look at the world the way that I do who affirm my already, the beliefs and opinions I walk into a room with, who are going to be cheering me on but never holding me accountable. I'm looking for that space that is safe and consciously and subconsciously, I'm resisting those who fail to provide it for me. Contrary to what our Facebook feeds and our news headlines would have us believe, The alt-right does not have exclusive rights to xenophobia. This is a socially transmitted disease that runs in all of us, the fear of the stranger. When we think about things like this, we think about it only in these extreme matters, and we think about them happening in extreme circumstances, Klan rallies. And by doing so, we wipe our hands clean. We're not complicit. We're not like them. But what if it doesn't happen just, what if this fear of stranger doesn't just manifest at Klan rallies, what if it happens at your local Applebee's as well? I want you to watch this video.
2: Let's just say this is you, you're the big red person. All these people around you are just the people that you come in contact with. Some are people that you're friends with, some are just you know, the, the checkout person at the grocery store. Everyone has a moral circle. And all that means is that the people that are most central to you there are going to get your most love are the people that you're going to be nicest towards okay how many of you here have waited tables so you guys know what misery that is i have waited tables also imagine a friend a family member somebody you really care about is going to start waiting tables they go through the whole training process you get a group of people together you go you sit in their section you're all excited first night and they come over and they are just sweating bullets Right? What do you say to them? Oh, don't, don't worry about us. Don't worry about us. Don't even worry about... We don't even need drinks. I don't even like water. It's fine. We're fine. I don't even like this. An hour later, they come over and take your order. You ordered steak. In front of you is cod. It's great. You love cod. Cod's terrific. We're going to eat this. This is going to be great. And then what do you do at the, over, at the end of the night? You overtip them, don't you? You overtip them. Now, imagine that same scenario and you have no idea who this server is. And they come, and you know what? You ordered Coke Zero, and this tastes like Diet Coke. So you stop making eye contact with these people. You start to do that mental math of the tip going down, down, down. I'm not going to even look at this person. You know, this is, this is ridiculous. We were paying for a good time. What is this? Two different types of behavior from us for two different people. One is your mom. One is your friend. One is your brother. The other one isn't. But the other one's somebody's mom. Somebody's friend, the other one's somebody's brother. Why do we justify two different types of behavior for people that we come in contact with? We show kindness to our kind, meaning the people that are inside that circle are generally going to be people that you think are your kind. Ethnicity, background, financial status, age, orientation, family member, skill set, you name it. These are the people that I am going to give my most love to. Just imagine with me. How different would your world be if you just expanded your moral circle? What if all of a sudden the people in your church were known for treating other people in their society like family? What would that do to you? What would that do to your church? What would that do to your life and your heart?
1: I was... um I was over to a friend's house the other night, Friday night, to watch the NBA Finals, and as you'd expect, somebody turned to me and asked me about Genesis 1 in the fall. And so... (laughs) Which is fun. It's exactly what I was trying to go and do that night. But one of the questions that he asked was, um, let's talk about, you know, humanity's original eviction from Eden in the fall. Did you think it happened? How did it happen? What are the implications on us today if it happened? Is it in our DNA? What's going on? And um, I said, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I wasn't there. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if, if the Garden of Eden was a historical fact or it was a parable. I don't, I don't have all the information on the fall. What I do know is that I've seen the fall happen again and again. I've seen it happen in me. I've seen it happen in mine. I've seen my two eldest boys go from this place where they were safe and secure and at home among strangers, others, to this place now where they are fearful because different means dangerous. I've seen that spirit of philia in them being replaced by a spirit of phobia. And again, like I get it, it's, it's a natural psychological development. This is a part of growing up. It is innocent on one level but it's also deeply insidious on the other level because this fear of the stranger, this fear of the other, tell me if I'm wrong but that is the root of all evil. Every ism that is plaguing our society is birthed out of that fear of the other today. It is the cancer in our country right now. It is tearing us apart because we cannot see people beyond our people. That is Singer's second point. That is the second step in our moral faculty being developed. We identify who our kin is and are, and then we say we are going to be kind to them. It is not a mistake that kindness and kin share the same semantic root. That's what the expectation is, is that we will extend it to here. But there's more people than just the circle. I mean, I've only been alive for 33 years, but in my experience, there's more people than just the circle. They're on the streets, they're at the mall, they show up at church as a guest speaker. There's more people than just the circle. And so I want to take seriously that question that is being asked, the question in the video. What would it do to you and yours if your circle stretched to include the they and the them? I want to think about that. Because that's not only the question that the video is asking, it's also the invitation that Jesus is extending. When Jesus turns towards the crowd in Luke 14, and he tells them that should they want to proceed with him any further, that they will need to hate the ones that they love the most. I know that that sounds cold and crass. But Jesus isn't demanding a subtraction of our love. He's demanding a subjugation of our loyalties. Let me try to explain. In Hebrew thought at this time, words like love and hate were often paired up together to show a juxtaposition between the two. It wasn't about your emotions. It was about your preference. And so, for example, if I were to tell you that, um, you guys, I love the beach and I hate the mountains. In this context, at this time, I am not actually saying that I have hostility towards the Rockies. I'm just saying, if you want to take me to the Bahamas, I would go. That's where my preference lies. Jesus is not saying that you need to resist loving your people. He's saying you need to resist restricting your love to just your people. If you're going to take my story into your story, Jesus is not that the God figure that came to endorse the life that we are already going to live. He's saying to these people on the road that if you're going to make this spiritual declaration, it's going to come with some social alterations. You have to change the way you do your life. Your call history should look different because Christ calls you to a more expansive idea of the kingdom, not a more exclusive one. And I think the people at hand in this moment, this large crowd, they would have understood that. They would have understood what Jesus had declared because they had just seen what Jesus was doing. They are on the road. But before this, they were at a meal. At the beginning of Luke 14, they are at a Pharisee's home. And in the home, I I don't know if Micah has fully kept you up to speed on who the Pharisee, you've done your job, right, Micah? Yeah. Tell me afterwards if you haven't. But the Pharisees were a separatist movement. They, they came into being during a chaotic time where they were able to say that we are good because these people are bad. We are pure because these people are impure. This is what God's favor looks like when it's resting upon a people. But those people, that's, that's not it. So that's who these people were. And Jesus steps into this home to have a meal. With one of the people from the that's not it, he steps in. A man limps into the room with a swollen body. He has dropsy. Liquid is stuffed up inside of his body, and he is limping his way towards the table. And with each step that he takes, the Pharisees are leaning further and further back. He's not one of us. He's not in our moral circle. Why extend kindness to somebody who is not our kind? Jesus did, though. The text tells us that Jesus took a hold of him, Jesus healed him, and then Jesus sent him on his way. And then Jesus turned back to the Pharisees at the table and Jesus asks them the question that I think Jesus is still asking us today. Mark 14, 5 through 6, Jesus says this to them. If one of you had a kid or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, would you not immediately pull it out? In other words, if that waitress was your sister, would you be doing that mental math like you're doing right now and dodging her eyes? If that man with the red hat at the rally was your dad, or that woman with the Antifa flag at the protest was your mom, Would you immediately dismiss their humanity or would you lean in to ask what is happening? Who are they? What is the story that your story is trying to tell? What would you do if somebody walked in and you saw them as if they were part of your circle? What would you do? The text here in Luke 14 tells us that they had no idea, so they didn't say anything. They were out of words. What would we say? You know, I think about this, this past week in Minneapolis, we had 50 people overdose on drugs this past week in our city. That is an all time high for any week in our city's past. Any other week but this week, when I'm looking at this material, it wouldn't have disturbed me the way that it did, but now I can't see them just as strangers. Those are my brothers and sisters who overdosed this past week. I have to have them inside of my circle. It's not just a stat any further. What does it do to your heart when you think about your family boundaries growing wider and not smaller, growing warmer and not colder? Who is walking into your space while you are sitting at the dinner table and they are alone and they are scared and they are sick and they are looking for arms to wrap them up? Who are you afraid to reach out and touch, to say hello to? It's the big moments, it's the small moments. It's the passing by moments on the street corner where you see a stranger that you do not know and you say, how about this weather? That's not a big deal but it's a small way of saying to this person, I see you, I acknowledge you, you have value. In my world, inside of my circle, you have weight. You belong. This is the genius of Christianity. In its purest form, we see that Jesus spent 33 years trying to strip the world of strangers. The genius of Christianity is that it's not about creating a new people group that separates one group of people from another. It's about removing the separations that have kept us from seeing how we have been one this entire time. The story of Christianity is the story of good news that will not respect the walls erected by human hands. Every partition that we try to put up, the neighborhood of Jesus breaks back down. God is always calling us into something bigger and better than we previously had settled for. The question is whether or not we will go. Because our foundational text reminds us God so loved the world is read very differently than God so loved my world. And to love the world that God loves, we have to check our "my" at the door. We have to live with eyes wide open and not just eyes for ours. Do you see the people in your midst? Do you know the name of your mailman? Do you know the name of your sanitation workers? Do you know the name of your neighbors? What might it look like to live in this fashion to love on those that we do not see, it could look like a lot of different things. A couple of examples that came up for me, and I think it's amazing because when we actually see people break beyond the boundaries of their circle, the whole world stands still. This was shared 131,000 times on Facebook. Is it coming up? There it is, a woman holding another woman's baby who was crying the whole flight. We see that photo, and we need to, you guys got to see this. Somebody actually refused to obey the boundary lines of the moral circle, and reached out to a stranger to be kind to somebody who was not of their kind. Or in our own local news, a mosque in Faribault, heard news of a Christian family that had been dealing with a tragedy and responded to somebody who was not of their circle, not of their kind. Or recently, it was all over the news. Katie, can I have you click that? Thank you. Three young men are out having dinner at a restaurant and they see an elderly woman sitting by herself and they walk up to her and say, can we share this meal with you? They've now been meeting frequently since, to keep having this meal that they shared on this one night. unless we think that these small acts of kindness make no difference, lest we think that when that person stumbles into our space and we actually reach out with warmth and don't just look away, lest we think that that doesn't make any difference, let me show you one last one. This is FSU wide receiver, or was the wide receiver, Travis Rudolph who some of him and his football players from Florida State, they went to a school lunch to have lunch with these kids. And somebody took a picture of Rudolph sitting with this child who was all by himself. He didn't know what he was doing. He just saw somebody by himself and he said, I don't want him to be lonely. Not today. His mom later was the one who shared, this young boy's mom was the later one who shared this photo. And she wrote this about it. Several times lately, I've tried to remember my time in middle school. Did I like all of my teachers? Do I even really remember them? Did I have many friends? Did I sit with anybody at lunch? Just how mean were kids, really? I mean, I remember one kid on the bus called me Tammy Faye Baker because I started awkwardly wearing eyeliner in the sixth grade. I I remember being tough and calling him a silly name back. But when he couldn't see me, I also remember crying. I do remember middle school being scary and hard. And now that I have a child starting middle school, I'm finding all these feelings of anxiety are bubbling up in me. And they can be overwhelming at times. Sometimes I am grateful for his autism. That may sound strange to hear me say that, but in some ways I think, I hope that it shields him. He doesn't seem to notice when people stare at him when he flaps his hands. He doesn't seem to notice that he doesn't get invited to birthday parties anymore. He doesn't seem to mind if he eats his lunch alone. It's one of my daily questions for him when he gets back home from school. Was there a time today that you felt sad? Who did you eat lunch with today? Sometimes the answer is a classmate, but most days it's nobody. And those are the days I feel sad for him. But again, he really doesn't seem to mind. He's a super-sweet child who always has a smile and a hug for everybody that he meets, no exceptions. A friend of mine was in the cafeteria on this day and she sent me this beautiful picture. And when I saw it, I said, the caption with it said, Travis Rudolph is eating lunch with your son. And I replied, who is that? (laughs) And she said, FSU football player. Immediately, I had tears streaming down my face. Travis Rudolph wide receiver at Florida State and several other FSU players visited my kids school today and I'm not sure what exactly made this incredibly kind man share a table with my son but I'm happy to say that I'll never forget it this is one day that I didn't have to worry about my sweet boy eating his lunch alone because he sat across from somebody who is a hero Romans 12, 2. Friends, do not conform to the tribalistic patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me pray. Jesus, you are the good gift. Jesus, we, we think about how you live this life of courage that refuse to see small where there's always something big. That will refuse to be trapped by these boundary lines that keep us from seeing our family. Forgive us, Lord, for the lie that our siblings are our strangers. Give us the courage, Lord, not to build higher walls, but to extend longer tables to love our neighbors, to really love and to see our neighbors. In Christ's name, we all pray together, amen. As we close up this morning, um, there's something that I say to my, my I'll go higher. There's something that I say to my six-year-old every morning when we bring him to school. It's not an original saying. I just can't cite my source. I don't remember who first said it. But I always tell him two things. I say, be brave because you are a child of God. And be kind because so is everybody else. Go in peace, friends. You are loved. Find us
0: online. At www.awakencommunity.com, Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com Backslash Awaken Community Or on Twitter at awaken Community See you next time.